Hi, welcome to the Echo Podcast, where we discuss how our hearts and minds are an echo of God's heart and mind and what that even means in this world. We are Pastor Dan Sinkhorn and Adrian Tarullo from Shiloh Church of Jasper, Indiana. And this week, we're going to continue talking about the book, The Insurgents, written by Frank Viola. So, Pastor Dan, in your sermon on Sunday, you talked about basically the three Gospels. So I'm looking here at your sermon notes, and it's the three Gospels. And so, basically, one is, um, well, here's a quote from your from your notes here. It says, Frank identifies two predominant camps among Christians, one overly focused on external rule keeping, leading to bondage and religious duty, which is termed legalism. And another, treating Jesus as a mere supplement to busy lives, resulting in bondage to personal desires. And that's termed libertinism. Libertinism? Yeah, either one. And so, basically, um, it's rare to encounter Christians that are outside of these two groups. You either have, basically, all grace, and because of Jesus I can do what I want, or... I am bound by these rules, kind of like shackles, and I must obey by these rules to essentially earn God's love. Mm-hmm. And so neither one is healthy or great, right? And neither one is, is the true gospel. And so then there's the third gospel. I don't think there's a name for that one, is there? Well, no. Well, it's like the gospel, it's right? the gospel. <laughs> Um, but this is really the one that you want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this third camp, it says, quote on your uh, sermon notes, um, it's characterized by a relationship to Jesus motivated not by guilt, duty, or fear, but by the compelling sight of Christ's glory and the irresistible power of his kingdom. So I thought we'd just kind of springboard off of that. Tell tell the listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about, um, what what even is this? Well, as I uh, do every week, we'll start with the high view and descend to the specifics. The, the high view doesn't even have to have religious connotations or Christian in particular uh, uh, meaning. The high view starts with why do people seem to gravitate to extremes? You know, we're living in a world where we're so accustomed to extremism, especially where political points of view are concerned. Um, and it just creates vitriol and bitterness among people. And and, and I think that the, the issue always comes down to the fact that there's not a great deal of effort put into critical thinking. So people tend to gravitate to extreme points of view because it's easier. In my opinion, it is intellectually lazy to pick one position and stand firmly on that and say, I'm a Democrat, I've always been a Democrat. And I I remember one time watching a a, a, a news clip or something that interested me because it was uh, a a Republican governor in in our home state of Indiana and... um, the governor was visiting a restaurant in the county where I once served as a pastor. And so I was very curious about this because I recognized the people that he was introducing himself to. to, And it was very local, so it was curious to me. Well, it's also a county that is thoroughly Democrat, 
which which is actually not as common in Indiana. But but anyway, this guy uh, basically this farmer was sitting there, you know, drinking his coffee, and and the governor says, you know, hi, I'm Governor so and so, and and uh, you know, I just wondered how you feel about our policies and stuff, and 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 this farmer says. I'm not a fan. And so the governor says, well, what exactly do we do that you're not a fan of? I'm just not a fan. All right. Well, what exactly do we do that you're not a fan of? Well, I've been a Democrat all my life and I'll never support a Republican governor. <laughs> and, and I thought, okay, so, so basically you're just settling for a really easy point of view that doesn't require you to think and it doesn't require you to be emotionally or intellectually sophisticated. And I don't say that, you know, sophistication is a word that can be misunderstood by unsophisticated people because they have a tendency to think that that means that if you think of yourself as sophisticated, you're superior to them. But that's not what sophistication means. It, it really just, you know, like, like Jeff Foxworthy was very popular back in the 90s, and he always described rednecks as gloriously unsophisticated people, which only meant that they just weren't complicated. They didn't possess a great deal of worldly knowledge, and they weren't particularly complex in their worldview. Um, it, you know, they just that was just his way of, of illustrating the point. And so it, if you don't want to work hard intellectually, then pick a position and stick with it for the rest of your life. And that's what extremists do. Extreme conservatives are very simple in many respects, and they're motivated by the simplicity of the black and white view that they hold. And, extremists are almost always radically opposed to the opposite extreme. So radical conservatives despise radical liberals and radical liberals despise radical conservatives. What's interesting is these people with these radical points of view also have a very strong tendency to lump everybody in the middle into one category or the other. And it really just depends on the first impression you gave them. So you might be a real middle of the road kind of person who's clearly intellectually uh, sophisticated, you know, that you, you, inter you in intentionally interpret things rather than just read them in a second and draw a conclusion. And, you know, so you intentionally critically think, you intentionally observe and absorb, you know, and when those extreme people encounter you, depending on the first impression that they get of you, they've either categorized you as one extreme or another like them. And so that's a very common sociological dynamic, and especially these days. I mean, look at the two candidates we'll probably be dealing with in the fall, uh, well, in, in the general election, uh, one's an extreme in one direction and the other is an extreme in the opposite direction. And they count on the support of their extreme constituency to get their policies through and get them elected. So now you take that whole tendency and you dumb it down to 
lesser things. And you realize that with, with that intellectual laziness comes a general laziness about things that makes you someone who would prefer a religion that's easy, that would prefer a doctrine that's easy. And because you don't want people to tell you that being a Christian is, well, hard work. The gospel itself is pretty simple. We're sinners and we're doomed because of that nature without a savior. And the savior by definition is someone who isn't in the same predicament we're in and therefore has the capacity to remove us from it, from the predicament. If we're all trapped in a hole, the Savior is going to be the person who's up at the top of the hole, reaching down to pull us out. It's pretty hard for him to save us if he's in the trapped in the same hole we are in. And so that part of being a Christian is easy because it's really that simple. But living that life of having been rescued from sin, but still subject to its tendencies, is complicated. So this threefold gospel that basically, Frank's really not trying to say that those other two gospels are gospels, because they aren't. Mm -hmm. What they are is how people who prefer intellectually lazy, simplistic approaches interpret. And what's ironic is, is that in some ways they've managed to make their work easier and the gospel's work harder. Okay. So let's take the legalistic one. The legalistic gospel, the Christian is freed by managing a a series of rules and regulations sufficiently to have met with the approval of the ones who dispense doctrine. Okay, so the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, number three, the one with no name, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that requires nothing of you but faith in Jesus as your Savior and a willingness to dedicate your life to living with him into all eternity as his co-heir. And it's so easy, it's frightening because the freedom of that is so terrifying to us that we can't figure out how to cope with it. And so people ask questions, well, then what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Live like he's ruling your life. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, it means that, you know, believe it or not, those silly bracelets everybody wore back in 2000 that said, what would Jesus do, right? You mean like the one I have on my wrist yeah. right now? Yeah, those. It, it turns out that's really true. <laughs> yeah. What would Jesus do? Because that's how you live. That's, that's living the Christian life is doing what Jesus would do. And it's really not complicated. And I called them silly because like everything else, it became a joke because it became popular, you know. Did you know there's an answer to that now? What's that? Like in the 90s, the whole thing was, what would Jesus do? And now there's an answer to that. It's he would love first. Right. So the bracelet I have on has WWJD and then HWLF. I like it. That's kind of cool. It's yeah. a nice progression. He would love first. Yeah. You know, um, 
I remember riding an L train in Chicago with one of those on my wrist and, and basically uh, by the time I got where I was going, I'd been hit up for money by two or three people because <laughs> wow. here's your sign. You marked yourself. Yeah, I did. Yeah. You know, but, but anyway, um, so, so, you know, again, I'm doing that high view thing and coming down as rapidly as I can to the, to the principle that you wanted to talk about, which is basically the gospel of legalism is a gospel that says we don't want freedom as much as we want regulation, you know, and, and so legalists are people who can't handle the freedom because it's too ambiguous for them. It's too, in other words, they want an uncomplicated, extreme perspective because that makes them feel more comfortable. It doesn't threaten them. It doesn't put, you know, because I've always, I have a, a motto about many things. I have several mottos, but my motto in this case is comfort kills. People who want comfort will get what they want every time, and it will kill them. It'll kill their spirit. It will kill their vitality as a human being. It will kill their spiritual Christian life. It, it Comfort kills. You know, why do we have so many fat Americans in the country, including myself? Because we get comfortable, and that means that we are not burning enough calories. We get comfort food because it just soothes our it causes the endorphins to flow you know it's like we are addicted to comfort and it's nothing new under the sun it's uh it's just more epidemic now because because technology has exponentially enhanced everything so that it's more epidemic than it's ever been but believe me when jesus was interacting with the pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law they were at odds with him because they were comfortable with their legalism. It was comfortable. They could be at peace with their righteousness as they perceived it because it was so strictly enforced by a set of rules that they followed so that they could say, I follow all the rules, so I'm good. You know, and and so legalism always comes down to give me a simple solution. Is there a pill for that? You know, if I do X, Y, Z, then I'll enter heaven. Yeah. 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 We live in a world that's run by computers. And you know what a computer is? It's a series of if then statements. Computers use zeros and ones and if then statements to solve all of our problems. Wow. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if then, if this, then that, and, and, and so it, that's legalism. It's like, but, but here's the bottom line. And I think I said something pretty good there that I want to come back to before I forget it, that legalism puts all the work on the gospel rather than on this. I said, see, I said it earlier and I'm not, can't remember how I put it. What, what I'm getting at is, is that, that uh, we, we are, we're asking more of ourselves than Jesus asks for us when we're legalistic. You know, Jesus doesn't want as much from us as we want Jesus to want from us. And so we look at him and we go, well, he's not demanding enough. So I need to find a religious leader who's more demanding because... I can't be comfortable with 
how I feel about myself if I haven't done certain things that I can refer to in my personal dialogue, my inner dialogue about, you know, that, that validates me. So we're looking for validation through rules. And since Jesus really doesn't validate you for following rules, then you're attracted to societies and communities and religious leaders who do validate you for following rules. And that's why you have this whole legalistic culture out there in religion where people are more prone to following a priest or a holy man or a pastor or or sister so-and-so or their Sunday school teacher or or patriarch or matriarch of a family. You know, they, they'll find someone that will give them approval for works. And then they'll cling to that because it is easier than freedom in Christ. Jesus doesn't expect as much from you as legalism does. And people really can't handle the freedom. Um, there's, you know, several analogies that, uh, that come to mind for that. Like there's an old story that's been told by motivational speakers for a hundred years about how if you put a bunch of fleas in a jar and you put a lid on the jar, they will jump and jump and jump to get out of that jar. And then you eventually can take the lid off and they'll never jump any higher because they've just decided that's as high as they can go. You know, a goldfish is only going to get as big as its environment will allow. So if you put a goldfish in a cup, it's never going to get any bigger than it can survive in that cup. If you put it in a giant 30-gallon aquarium, you might be surprised later on to have some kind of koi fish or something or a carp, you know, that's like five feet long, you know, and it's just like it's it's all just analogous to the idea that we would rather live with limitations because it makes us more comfortable because it's safer. Um, my dog is so funny because when I take her collar off to recharge its gizmos and gadgets, she freaks out like, like she feels naked without her collar, you know, and, and, you know, and I'll tell her, you know, run free, be naked. You know, fortunately she's the German shepherd with a very heavy coat. She's never naked, but she, can't handle having that thing off and when i get it off the charger to put it back on her she's so eager to help me put it back on and then she shakes her head until it's comfortable and then she's like okay now i feel better mm -hmm. <laughs> there is some comfort to rules mm -hmm. and and it is not necessarily that it is like inherently easy to be very disciplined and to do all of these things i'm thinking like lent Okay, yeah. a lot of people fast and they don't snack and they do all of these things during Lent, which is not necessarily easy, right, to like right. follow all of those rules, but it's much easier when you're sitting in front of someone and they're like, oh, this is what we do because this is what we do. And you're just like, yeah, yeah. okay, that makes sense. So that's kind of like where that easiness comes in. Um, but it's much more challenging to kind of critically think through that like versus if someone is sitting there and they're like okay this is what we do because this is what we do and me being a critical thinker if I'm just like well but wait why mm -hmm. why do we do that where did Jesus tell us that we should be doing this point it out and, and I'll do it if Jesus says yes yeah but it's harder to really think about the things that Jesus has said and apply them to our lives in different situations. So mm -hmm. I think like that's what you're getting at, right? With yeah. the legalism. Well, we like structure. 
Yeah. And and that's that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, structure helps. And and I think when we come back around to the other side, when we start talking about what it means to be a libertine, um, I can tie all this together for us, just as we did in the notes and in the sermon, that, that there's a um, there's a correlation because boundaries aren't a bad thing, but structuring it in a way that isn't in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ makes it someone else's structure, someone else's uh, boundaries. And, and there's the problem because religion can't help itself. Religion always ends up creating structures and boundaries and rules that comfort us, but also serve as barriers between us and the truth. And, and most of them are not set up with that intention. Almost every structure that becomes legalistic starts with the question asked by an innocent person who says, well, now that I'm devoted to Jesus as my king and savior, what do I do? And then someone says, well, just love him. Do what he would do, you know, and remember that love's always going to be top of the list. And you go, okay, I can deal with it. But, but then you find yourself in a situation where even that isn't clear enough for you. And so Jesus will let you just kind of squirm a little bit and find him. And he'd make you be patient and wait for the spirit. You know, every time he told the fishermen, have you tried throwing your net that other side of the boat or whatever? It's not like he didn't know that they'd been fishing all night. It's not like he didn't know that they were really good fishermen in their own right. He just needed for them to come to that moment that was the perfect time that he felt for them to have that experience. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's his timing is always perfect. So a lot of times we won't wait long enough to figure out what he wants us to do. Or we don't have the luxury of waiting. You know, it's like... Uh, uh, sometimes you're going to find yourself confronted with a moment where you have to decide what's best and Jesus isn't giving you a clear answer. So you just do what you think is best and it'll either be a good decision or a not a good decision or something in between. And, and, you know, and eventually it'll all come together. You know, I was just in the other room talking with somebody about some of the programs we're doing here at the church and what we can do to improve them. And, and what I mentioned was is how important it is to me to give people who are willing to take a risk and try something the freedom to try it without feeling that they can fail. Mm. I want them to know that I'm not watching them to see when they're going to fail. I'm saying, just do it. And, and listen, after we've been trying that for six months, let's take a look at it and see what we can do differently. Let's see what we've learned. And uh, for a lot of people, that's scary to have that much freedom and permission Mm -hmm. And yet, if the purpose is to develop the character of the person, the leader, the, the whatever, you know, the, if it's all about developing that person's character, then it takes time. And a loving, compassionate discipler is going to say, just, just go for it. It'll be all right. Let's just see what happens. You know, I, I'm here right now. You can talk to me anytime you want, but let's agree we're not going to evaluate this and until it's been six months, you know, and, and then that gives you freedom. So sometimes waiting is the hardest part of freedom. 
Mm. See, so then we get to the other thing, the libertine, right? So legalists want structure. They want boundaries. When they're not satisfied with Jesus's answers, they come up with their own. When people aren't comfortable with freedom in Jesus and the time it takes to live out that freedom in Jesus, then they will look to human leaders to give them rules and regulations to live by. And then they're more concerned with the approval of the community of religious people that they're a part of. They're more concerned about keeping the traditions of their community or their uh, family or combination of the two. Um, and so, you know, we often talk about this is that we've got this religious community we live in where these uh, folks in this town are very devoted in one way or another to a religion, and there aren't that many irreligious people in this town. But there are an awful lot of people who are more schooled in their religion than they are in Christianity. Yeah. Even though their religions exist in the name of Christ, you know. And that's because the religion is easier on their psyche and their emotions and everything than freedom in Christ. And so the libertine... So hang on one second. Before yeah, yeah. you go on to the libertine, I loved how you included these questions in into your sermon uh, notes. And I just wanted to draw attention yeah, yeah. to it go really ahead. quick. Because this really helped me when I was reading through it. And so at the very end of your sermon notes, you asked, do you recognize any legalistic tendencies in your heart? And some of these are just really important to self-reflect on. And I thought the listeners might yeah. Um, yeah. benefit from this. So it says, the one is, you feel that you're not doing enough to make God happy. Deep inside, you doubt God's love and his complete acceptance of you as a child. You are quick to think the worst of other people and impute bad motives to their hearts. Um, and here is, I'll just do one more. You tend to maximize the sins of others as being worse than your own. You feel at liberty to interrogate people, even those you don't know very well for alleged sins, when you yourself would hate for someone to interrogate you the same way. Yeah. So those are really cool things. Maybe rewind it and listen to it again if you feel like you have some of those tendencies. Well, and by all means, pick up Brother Frank's book. I, you know, because this whole thing is structured around his book, and with his permission, I mean, he and I have become friends over the years, and we've talked, and and uh, I think he he is confident that I will interpret his work accurately. And what I want to do in return for him is is to direct you to the book. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can say in summary each week for the next several weeks that isn't that is better than you reading the book which goes into greater depth and by the way it's structured like no other book i've read in church in my church library because you can read like somebody told me last night i just finished the first chapter of frank's book and i i laughed at them <laughs> and i said well good for you that was like what a page and a half because the way this book is written, it's like, like I think the longest section or chapter, I should say, the longest chapter is like, you know, maybe three pages. And this is with wide margins, you know. And, and the person said, no, no, I mean the section, because the book is divided into like five sections. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, and, and I said, oh, okay, good on you, you know. And, they, and we had a good laugh about it, because we both understood why I was making fun. It, it's like, you know, Insurgents is a book that you have no excuse for, you know, like, oh, well, I fall asleep on it. No, 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 no. 
you could fall asleep if you're trying to finish the whole section of the book because it's divided into parts. But if you're just saying, well, I'm just going to read, you know, 20 pages and that's about all I can do right now without falling asleep. Well, you can do that with this book because he's really got it laid out in a way that's easy in that in that sense. So by all means, read the book. But yeah, thank you. I mean, because those questions are actually taken out of his book, um, you know, and, and then, of course, what that's prompting me to do is say, well, maybe I need to put action items on all my sermon notes, you know, that, that might be really helpful for people. Yeah. Um, you know, my action item is what, do something consistently, Dan, you know. Yeah, well, there's hard. I'm going to try. <laughs> but anyway, easy. yeah, you know, so, 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 yeah, I mean, you doing, doing that reminded me that if there's another thing I could say about the, the, uh, the legalism, it would just be, you know, legalism exists in varying degrees. I tried to say this on Sunday in the sermon because, and this was kind of an ad-libbed part that came up as I was preaching because, because it was like, you know, we're talking about extreme points of view. And I started with this overview of extremism, right? And, and that's like the anchors on either end of a spectrum, you know, like, like in my mind, I literally picture a line, you know, a horizontal line with, uh, extreme X on one side and extreme Y on the other. And we'll call it libertinism on one side and, and uh, legalism on the other side. But the reality is, is that we all know people who are extremely liberal and extremely conservative or extremely libertine or extremely uh, legalistic, you know, but, but most of us know and are people who are somewhere in the middle of that mish, mishmash. Like we're, we're people, and that's why I tried, I said something on Sunday that, that was sort of, uh, I, I heard myself say it and it was like, that's interesting. That's a funny thought. You know, that's the funny thing is it's very hard to explain the preaching process because, you know, if you've really done your homework and you prepared properly, then you're liable to say things that surprise you, you know, mm-hmm. because you invite the Holy Spirit to take over. And then sometimes you hear yourself saying something and you go, well, I wasn't planning to say that, you know. I didn't see that coming and I'm preaching, you know, and one of the things I said was, is, is most of us are legalistic when it suits us. And most of us are libertine when it suits us, mm-hmm. because sometimes we want to be bound by rules and regulations because it makes us feel secure. And other times we can't stand the thought of being confined or tied down or put on a leash or something and so we want to be free and yet when we get too far from the master we get scared you know um if i walk my dog off leash she'll get way ahead of me but she'll stop regularly to check and see if i'm still right behind her and if she's lost track of me she'll come back and find me you know because because they want to be close to the master, they want that they love that freedom. And then there are times when you put the collar and the, and the, and the leash on, and it makes them feel like part of you. Hmm. And that's not a bad thing. And so what I think we'll arrive at at some point is, is that living in the true gospel is like that. You want to feel like you're a part of the master, and you want to be, you know, like an extension of his body, the body of Christ. But you also love the fact that if you want to surge ahead or lay behind a little bit, he's fine with that. 
You know, he's not asking you. It's wonderful that Jesus walked everywhere because we can literally picture ourselves walking with Jesus and, and recognizing that sometimes, you know, we are running ahead of him or sometimes we're dragging behind him. Sometimes we're walking with him, but he's talking to somebody else. So we're just listening. You know, I mean, it's like that's the, the, literally, you know, watch the chosen and just live your life as though you are living that discipleship that the apostles model, you know, I, I mean, that that's like the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. But the libertine is one who says, I don't want to work hard either. And I want to be comfortable. My idea of comfortable is not living within a tight set of rules and regulations where everybody that's not like me is bad and everybody that's like me is good. And so what they want to do is they want to just say, Jesus loves me and his grace is sufficient for all and I can do whatever I want. And, you know, I can, I can just, you know, I can even reframe who he is and what he said in a way that makes whatever I want to do okay. And, well, he wouldn't be much of a savior if you didn't feel stuck, who needs a savior if you're not stuck, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and so the ultra libertine view suggests that you didn't really need his help or that he gave his help once. And that's that I don't need to do, you know, so there's a lot of people that basically believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he saved all the creation and that includes us. And that's that. And if that's true, then why would he come back? Why would he come to judge? Why would he set up the the beam of judgment and then the great white throne judgment? Why would, you know, and, and so the assumption is, is that, that it's all done and now we can do whatever we want, that we are the perfected creation, that we are the, you know, like, like it's all done. Yeah. And... There's an interesting dynamic in both of these extremes that Frank doesn't deal with the way I deal with it. It doesn't mean we disagree. It just means that I have a different take because it always comes back to my premise that sin is ultimately pride. That, that if you want to know what sin is, it's assuming that you know better than God. It's assuming that God's not right about everything, that God is not always just, you know, that, that sin is resisting God because at least once in a while, you're pretty sure that you've got a better answer than God has. So that's pride. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's pride. Yeah. And so if you look at what the libertine does and you look at what the legalist does, they're both looking for something they can take pride in. Yeah. You know, they're both looking for a way to be their own God. So the legalist wants to be God because the legalist says, I'm going to determine what it's like to be a, a good Christian. Um, you know, I'm going to determine what that means. And I'm going to surround myself with people who agree with me. <laughs> so that's a God. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's, yeah. the, that's what Satan did. <laughs> and, uh, and then it turns out that the Libertines really doing the same thing. And what I find really amazing is, is that when I, if you take my spectrum where I have legalists on one end of the, the horizontal line and I have uh, libertines on the other end of the horizontal line, 
if you take those two dots on either end of the horizontal line and you pull them down until they touch each other, <laughs> they converge. Mm-hmm. And it's like a circle. The, the basically, the libertine and the legalist have one very critical thing in, in common. They are self-centered. They're egocentric. The extremists are egocentric and they're looking for a way to satisfy the flesh. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I have set your soul free. And in time, I'm going to remake your flesh so that you are not only internally mirroring my image, but externally as well. And not literally, but like in the resurrected form of Jesus. So the problem that the legalist and the, the uh, uh, libertine has is that they're completely devoted to themselves. And both are blinded to that reality because they've built their whole system of self-evaluation and their whole worldview around these contrived ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And so these are gospels that are false gospels, cleverly constructed false gospels. So the last thing we should talk about before we wrap up is, is what's the f true gospel? Well, I don't know. What do you think the true gospel is? Oh, geez. You're going to put me on the spot and well, a microphone? You know, ev every week you sit me down and put me on the spot. Yeah, but you're good at it. <laughs> With practice. So here's your practice. All right. So I would say that the true gospel is the story that um, despite our brokenness and imperfection as a human race, God still loves us and he still sacrificed his only son so that we could have eternal life with him forever. So he tells us many lessons, um, but the gist of it is, we should just love him and live our lives like he tells us to. And we'll get to be a companion with him forever. And that's a joyous, joyous time. Um, we find freedom in him in that way. And yet, not everything is okay. Mm -hmm. There are certain boundaries. There are certain things that are not okay. Um, and he spells those out for us. I think that's where the... Bible knowledge comes in. I yeah, guess. and and I mentioned this on Sunday in the sermon. I'll bring it up again. The twenty third Psalm, which is one of the world's favorites, it's kind of amazing that there are a lot of people who aren't Christian who love the song Amazing Grace mm -hmm. and love the twenty third Psalm. And if they took to heart what those songs, both of them, are all about, it it. It should change everything for them, but somehow they're, I don't know, somehow they're hearing it, but not hearing it, seeing it, but not seeing it. And the 23rd Psalm says that he takes you to green pastures and basically turns you loose so that you can eat the fresh food and you can drink the the clean water and there's a sense that the temperature is perfect and that everything about this place that he has taken you to by way of the valley of the shadow of death 
right? Mm -hmm. So he's taken you to this perfect place through the valley of the shadow of death. And then when he's there, his rod and his staff comfort. Now, a shepherd, if I, I used to work farm machinery shows and things back in the day in Louisville. And, and uh, you know, these kids had come walking by my booth and they were all carrying these little rods that they'd been given at one of the booths. And some of them were carrying these long staffs that they'd gotten. And then you could go to the fair that summer and you could watch them use them. And what are they doing? They're batting them on the bottom with their little rod and they're guiding them with their staff. And that's just what shepherds do. What is that? That's controlling. That's containing. And, and, and so there's a sense that 23rd Psalm is saying, in essence, you are leading me to a place where my freedom is exponentially greater than I could ever imagine. But it wouldn't be right if you weren't there with your rod and your staff. And there's a big difference between being gently prodded away from danger you know, and being smacked on the hands with the ruler because you're not conforming to a system or set of rules. Yeah. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's green pastures, fresh water, peace, lifelong, eternal joy, bliss, but it also comes with boundaries because boundaries are loving. Because parents create boundaries for the children to protect them, you know, not to oppress them. And there's the secret. At the end of the day, I still stand by my long-held statement that Satan is most visible where there is oppression and chaos. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I were using my own words to describe what it means to be legalistic or libertine, I would say oppression and chaos. The legalistic is oppressive and the libertine is chaotic. Yeah. In the absence of rules, there's anarchy, which is chaos. And in the absence of grace, there's oppression. And the true gospel says we're not all about grace and we're not all about oppression we are uh, advocating something that is both. Or to put it in a nicer way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about equal measures of discipline and grace, which is where we get the word discipleship. Disciples of Jesus Christ are living within his boundaries, not oppressive legalistic boundaries. And they're not running amok doing whatever they want, which is having no boundaries. So grace and discipleship or grace and discipline are the home of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the discipline? Well, it's never as hard as people make it out to be. Your bracelet says it pretty, pretty adequately. You know, what would Jesus do? And you can bet your last dollar it'll have something to do with love first. You know. Yeah, and so that brings up a good question of like, okay, we asked about if you have legalistic tendencies. I don't even know if I need to bother asking these libertine ones because that's 
seems to be easier for people. You know, do you feel like you have rules? Does it bother you if you violate one of God's commandments? Do you just live your own life? Are you the own, are you the God of your own life? Um, but there was a point I was going to make there and I completely forgot. You're going to remember in a second. Let me ask you this. Oh, you said he would love first the the bracelet. Yes. So that was my question is like, if you want to get closer to that third gospel, the true gospel, just know Jesus better, Mm -hmm. know him, like be his friend, talk to him, open communication with him, read about him, learn the things that he does. Let's give people some practical advice here. How do you know him better? Read his words. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've i used this joke for years, and it's not just a joke, but it turned into a joke when I realized something fatal. I always said, just read the red ink, and then I found out that some people's Bibles don't have the words of Jesus in red. And so they <laughs> right. would look at me like I was crazy. You know, Nothing's like, red. What do you what? mean, read the red ink? And then I just had to, you know, so that's why I say it was a fatal, it, you know, it was a flawed analogy or a flawed story uh a piece of advice but the the bottom line is read the words of jesus when when whenever the bible says jesus said pay attention you know um in fact in in the earliest iterations of the bible back in the day before we had the bible there were people who passed around this codex or this this document that they would copy over again that was basically called Q and it was the sayings of Jesus. Hmm. So one of the precursors to the Bible itself was just people had written down things that Jesus was credited with saying and they passed it around. Now, Bible scholars and historians will tell you that that was flawed in certain ways, you know, because he got credit for saying things he didn't say, whatever. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that people knew instinctively in the days after Jesus's ascension and after the apostles started dying off, they knew instinctively that if there was one thing they needed to keep in mind, it was the words of Jesus. Because how do you know somebody? Well, an awful lot of it comes from what they say. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. if you want to know somebody, what do you do? You know, I, it, when, when you're going on a date for the first time, trying to figure out whether this is somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with, what do you do? You sit there and you eat and you talk and you learn about each other. And you, you know, you ask questions, you hear what they say, you kind of put a lot of stock into the way they say it and the twinkle in their eye. And well, that's, that's how you get to know anybody. And that's how you get to know Jesus. Absolutely. And and you know what? These days, I'm perfectly comfortable saying, you know, if you want to get to know Jesus, watch The Chosen. These are godly Christian people who have put together a pretty accurate representation of him as far as I can tell. Yeah. And season four is about to come out. Yeah. Like you know, a couple weeks. So get to know him and say to yourself, now there's the guy that I want to emulate. There's the guy I want to be like. And and recognize that even that is being created in the, by an actor who is a flawed human being. So we'll never really understand. You know, we could try to recreate the impression that he made on people. We could try to recreate that. But then you just let the, you recognize that while you are looking for temporal solutions to your problem of drifting back and forth between libertinism and legalism, while you're looking for temporal solutions, don't forget that there is a, a, 
a heavenly solution. There's a heavenly answer to that problem. It's called the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to inform your physical Im, uh, impressions and experiences. You know, you say to the Lord, look, I really don't want to be an oppressive legalistic person or abide in some sort of oppressive legalistic system. I really don't want to be a crazy, chaotic, running amok, you know, so-called Christian who has no discipline and everything goes. And I've even changed your image to match my image. You know, I don't want to be all of that. I just want to be, you know, somebody who's always trying to do what Jesus would do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And just ask the spirit to help you. Yeah. Um, and he will. He will help you. He yeah. will show you. And, and it'll be an unmistakable feeling. Um, I have to share this story really Please quick do. because it directly relates to this book and to Frank. So if Frank, you're listening, that's <laughs> great. Uh, here's, here's a profound moment that was inspired by you. So after he came to Shiloh several years ago, three, four years ago, mm, a couple so, of years, a couple ago. years ago, yeah. he, um, spoke with us a few times. It was like a few sessions in succession, I guess. And at the very last one, he tasked us to write out Psalm 23 mm -hmm. and just write it verbatim. And then he said, write it like a prayer. So really just kind of digest it, write it as your own personal prayer to God. Like, you know, um, Lord, you are my shepherd. You know, when I'm with you, I shall not want, you know, and I just kind of went through it. And I was in a moment in my life where I was just kind of in that, in that shadow, right? Mm -hmm. In that valley. And I went to the Ferdinand Forest, Ferdinand State Forest, and I found a picnic table and I was all by I myself. I remember this. Yeah. And I, at that point, I had no idea what Psalm 23 said. I didn't. Like, I just did not know it off the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm sitting at a picnic table beside still waters with a green pasture on my left and I'm digesting this and I'm just breaking down like it was just an incredible overwhelming feeling for me like that was the Holy Spirit and God was saying I know you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death but I'm with you I'm with you right now yeah. and I'm getting teary-eyed just saying this story because sure. it was such a profound moment in my walk of faith so I guess there's a lesson there of like, if someone, if someone encourages you to digest scripture or to read something, do it and do it with your whole heart and give it to God and let the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit permission to come through you and to work through you because it is profound and he will show you who he is. You know, it, it, profound is such a great word for what you just prompted me to think. We call this the Echo Podcast, which was your idea. And and every time you do the introduction, I think about what you're saying. And, and it's like, you know, what, what you will recognize as you live into your relationship with the Holy Spirit is that there are echoes of God's heart and mind everywhere. That God's heart and mind echoing is echoing all over the place. Yeah. Um, you know, he, this is an echo of his heart and mind. That's what we hope. That's why we do it. Um, you know, you always ask the question in the intro, what does that even mean? Well, you just describe what it means, you know, because when you feel that, when you hear that echo, you know, 
that is that's the heart and mind of God. It's echoing, and and, and sometimes he he echoes through really overt, obvious things like you know Christian music or worship services. But then there are other times when he's echoing in a very still small voice, you know. And and you just described how Frank's voice. He's still echoing around the walls of this church yeah. because he came and spoke to us for a week and he shared lots of quality time with me, especially, which I'm so grateful for. And so his voice is still echoing and he's a person who is set out to echo the voice of God. So sometimes echoes are echoes of echoes. You know, yeah. it's kind of like when you yell into a big valley, sometimes you hear it repeat three or four or five times, you know. And so one of the things that I would say describes the kingdom of God is it's a place with endless echoes of God's heart and mind. And when you're outside the kingdom of God, it's just a dull silence. You know, I've had tinnitus pretty much all my life. And sometimes when it's really quiet, I just get so sick of the sound of the noise in my ears that is just like hissing and popping and, and, you know, wine noise, you know, just, I hear these, this noise in my head. I love silence. I absolutely love silence. But if I'm really honest, I don't love the silence that is the absence of sound because all I hear then is the tinnitus in my ears. Yeah. What I love is the sound of the echoing of God's heart and mind, which is in the wind. It's it's in the songs of the birds. It's 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 in the tranquility that I feel when I'm not hearing unnatural noises like Jake breaks on trucks outside my office or uh, car noises or, you know, I, I, anything that to me, anything that echoes chaos, <laughs> I consider oppression. <laughs> now that's a personal problem. I'm giving you a very personal problem, but, but, you know, take my tinnitus or take the fact that, uh, the, uh, world's noises just sound like chaos and noise to me. So, so like, you know, I, I don't do well in, and you know this because you and I and, and your good husband, have, we've been in meals together at restaurants and things. And it's like, I don't like noisy rooms because I have a really hard time separating what I want to hear from all that other stuff I don't want to hear. And so for me, you know, the echoing sound of God's heart and mind is music. It's beautiful, uh, soft and comforting uh tranquility in my mind and utter silence sounds like that hissing popping tinnitus noise and other the the other extreme is just chaos in my mind and both make my head hurt mm -hmm. and make me unhappy mm -hmm. so i do better when i'm in the echoing of god's heart and mind i have no idea where that came from it was just kind of a Thing. little side tangent yeah. yeah yeah well but you know maybe people can relate to that i you know because because as you say in the introduction what does that even mean you know well when you're hearing the heart and mind of god i think there's something that naturally tranquilizes you that it naturally eases your stress 
it naturally silences the hissing and the popping and the noise and the chaos. You know, that when we're talking about God together, we're echoing God's voice, his heart and mind. And, and for a moment, we're not experiencing any other thing, you know? And why should you go to church? Maybe so that you can be in the echoing, you know, in God's echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Seek him, know him, love him. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do. Yep. All right. I think we'll wrap it up. Okay. You heard her. <laughs> Seek him. Know him. Love him. Love him. Bye. Bye. Bye.